Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. That was the last time I got. That was it. I said, okay, I can't do it. I'm weak. And it would be some years of growing in the Lord before I could then go back into those scenarios and be a witness. So be careful. If you keep getting 10 steps ahead and pull back five steps because you're hanging out with spiritually dead people, stop hanging out for a while. Right. Spend some time with Jesus. Make some new connections with God's people. And as you separate yourself and get right with the Lord, you'll be better prepared to go back and be a light to them. You have to know your weaknesses and be prepared to make big changes in order to walk with Jesus. As Pastor Bill will illustrate in today's message, the transition from a life in the world into a life in the kingdom of God is a complete 180. Sadly, many of your friends that remain in the world will resist to your new faith and lifestyle. As much as you love them, they may try to pull you back into sin. It's vital that you're secure in Jesus and equipped to resist sin before you spend time with those people. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. The word hate that he used is not hatred like we think of hatred. It's loving less. That my love for God is so great it would seem like hatred where my family falls. Because many people can't serve God because their love for family or their love for their parents or their commitment to their parents, their concern for what family thinks is so big that it's bigger than what God thinks. And God says, you won't be able to follow me if there's something like that. Family is holding that kind of place in your life. You won't be able to be a servant to me. You won't be able to be my disciple. And so here he says, look, for the purpose of being close to me, for the purpose of this vow, even if your parents die, right? Don't touch them. Don't touch anything dead. And the, the goal of all of this is in verse eight. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Verse nine, he gives a, a, an example of what if someone dies next to you and falls on you? Like, so what if you're just out and about and your buddy is next to you and you guys are hanging out and he died and touched you on accident? God made a provision in case you accidentally touched a dead person, verse 9. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of its cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, depending on his financial situation, to the priests to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to and make atonement for him because he sinned in regards to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb of his first year and a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because the, his separation was defiled. So basically if a, dead person accidentally touched him he had to start all over again so he had to go shave uh, make a make sacrifices uh, be atoned for by the priest and then he would start all over again and I look at that and I think but it wasn't even his fault like somebody fell next to him dead and it wasn't even his fault and God God said look it, it's this is how you it, maybe it wasn't your fault maybe you didn't know it was going to happen so I made a provision for you to go get it right go get it right I made a provision right what does this teach us for those of us that are going to be separated? Now, these are dead bodies um, and I, we're not really dealing with that. But for those of us that are going to be separated in terms of 
separate from the things of this world to walk with the Lord, it'd be a good idea for you and I to be careful how much time you're spending around the spiritually dead. Who are the spiritually dead? The Bible says those who are not spiritually alive. If someone's not born again, guess what? They're spiritually dead. And you ought to be careful if you're someone that's spiritually alive and you find it comfortable, you find it enjoyable. If it's, if it's, your, if it's, if it's just normal for you to hang out with non-believers and, and you're not there on mission, right? I'm not talking about the person that says, I'm going to go hang out, but I'm on a mission. I'm going to go hang out and I'm a, I'm, I, 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 these guys still love me and I love them and I'm looking for opportunity to share the gospel. I'm not tempted to do the things that they're doing. I'm not getting caught up in it. Some people use that as an excuse to fall back. You know, I'm going to go try to be a witness. And so they're, they're going to the party and I'm going to just see if the Lord can use me there. And, you know, 10 minutes into the party, you throwing your hands up and you got something in your hand. And, you, you know, you, you know, fell all the way back into where you started from. It's not for everybody. Right. Everybody's not ready to go back and witness to, you know, whatever they came out of yet. And you need to pray about that. But you need to be careful. You're a Christian. And you find that, you know what, the majority of my friends are non-believers. I guarantee you there's either something wrong with, unless you're witnessing to them, and that's the goal of the interaction. But if you, if you hang out primarily with people that don't know Christ and you're very comfortable in that setting, you might be dead yourself. Therefore, it's very comfortable. They're just like you have so much in common, rather be with them than be with some church folk who you have nothing in common with. You might still be spiritually dead, though you hang out at church here and there, or um, it, it's becoming something that's sucking you away, drawing you away. Maybe that's why you're not thriving in your walk with the Lord. Maybe that's why you're not moving forward in the way that the Lord would want you to move forward. Maybe that's what's holding you back, is that while you're in your heart wanting to pursue the things of God, you got the children of Satan latched onto you like family members. So we should be careful about our interact, interactions and dealing with those that are spiritually dead. The Bible warns as much. First Corinthians 15, 33, Paul says, do not be deceived. Evil company or bad company corrupts good morals or good character. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 through 18. Paul again, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Who said the right? What would you say? Somebody said it. I'm not going to put you on the spot. All right. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And it says, for what fellowship has um, righteousness with lawlessness? And all these are rhetorical, no questions, nothing. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Nothing. What communion has light with darkness? None. What accord has Christ with Balao or Satan? None. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? None. Then he says, um, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. And it says, for you are the temple of the living God. What does that mean? You're the temple of the living. You're the house of God. God lives in you. You're the temple of the living God. It says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And he said, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God almighty. So we want to be very careful in our interactions with those who don't know the Lord. This doesn't make us, this is, this is not in a pharisaical way. Oh, you don't know the Lord? Mm. I can't, mm. don't touch me. Not like that. Not, not in the, we need to love the world. We need to reach out to the world. You need to be so loving to the world. There's so many bad example Christians, but you need to be careful that you're not getting sucked back in. Um, example, when I first, first, first got saved, I was, you know, sometimes I was, I was a little, I was just doing very well and I was excited about 
my, my new walk with the Lord. But I got invited over to my old buddy's house. And I'm like, man, I've known him since kindergarten. We like family. And I went over to his house. And I said, I made a commitment in my mind. I said, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do the other stuff. I'm just going to go. I'm going to watch the game. Maybe play some dominoes. Just going to go. I'm going to go kick it with my friends. And I got to the door. And my unbelieving friend. Now, in the world, what he did was very calm. Right? I had a favorite drink. He knew what my favorite drink was. Whenever I came into money, I had my normal drink that, you know, just day to day. But whenever I came up, I had my drink. Like this, I drink this when I made money. I had that. So when I got to the door, he showed up with that drink. He said, what's up? Whatever, whatever, whatever. And he said, bam, you put that down. And it was like, in the world, that was him saying, hey, love you, bro. I love you, man. I, I spent my money on your favorite drink. Come on in. That's how I got met at the door. And he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was loving me the way that we love each other in the world. And I remember sitting there and I know me. I know that if I drink, there's a list of other things that follow after. I don't just drink. So if I drink, there's a whole list of other things that are going to follow. And I remember sitting there thinking like, man, I haven't had a drink in this long. And I was really feeling good about the fact that I hadn't had a drink in that long. And I sat there and I was tempted very tempted. And this is before the cell phone era. My beeper went off. Beep, 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 beep. Took off my beeper. And I, I kind of lied my way out of it. You know, he didn't know I was no longer selling weed, but I wasn't. But I said, oh, I got to go get this. I'm going to go get this. I'm going to be back. And I'll be right back. And I remember getting in my car and Holy Spirit spoke to me. Said, you can't hang out with him and walk with me. And I realized that night it was impossible. Ten more minutes and I was going to be all up in that drink. And that was it. That was the last time I hung out. That was it. I said, okay, I can't do it. I'm weak. And it would be some years of growing in the Lord before I could then go back into those scenarios and be a witness. So be careful. If you keep getting 10 steps ahead and pull back five steps because you're hanging out with spiritually dead people, stop hanging out for a while. Right? Spend some time with Jesus. Make some new connections with God's people. And as you separate yourself and get right with the Lord, you'll be better prepared to go back and be a light to them. But when you're trying to do both, you end up being a bad witness because they all they see in you is a another wishy-washy Christian talking out both sides of their mouth. So we'll be careful about that. All right. So they they one of the things with the Nazarite vow is there's a separation of coming away from things separate from alcohol, separate from not cutting your hair and not touching anything dead. Now, I wanted to talk about Samson, but I, I will want to I want to point out there are three people. In the scripture that were Nazarites from the womb. And usually a Nazarite was somebody, this is a decision or a choice that someone voluntarily made. Uh, we know that because as you look at verse 2, it says, when either a man or woman consecrates an offering, when, a, when someone decides, like I'm setting aside myself for the purpose of seeking God, that's a choice that someone makes. But there were several people, um, and it's interesting, in these cases, there were mothers who wanted kids, that God met them, and, and, and they dedicated or they consecrated their kids and God gave instruction. God had plans for these kids from the time before they were conceived in mom's womb. God had plans for these kids and they were consecrated from the womb. Um, other than Samson, anybody know the other two that are mentioned in this way? John the Baptist. Who else? For a million dollars of nothing. <laughs> so, 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 okay, Samson. So, sorry, I'm sorry. Not Samson. 
John the Baptist, but also Samuel. If you guys go back and read Samuel, Hannah was given similar instructions. While you're pregnant even, don't consume these things. Don't take these things into your system. He's going to be set apart for me. And why do I bring this up? I think it's important. Because when I look at the Nazarite vow in one sense, I think it's someone else's decision. They're saying, God, I'm setting myself apart for you. But wait a minute, because Samuel's mom made the commitment. Samuel's mom had the communion with the Lord. And she said, God, if you give me a son, she wanted a son so bad. See, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. She's offering. If you give him to me, I'll give back to you, Lord. And the Lord said, okay. He answered, I'm going to give you a son. And he gave him, she gave him little Samuel. And she did exactly what she said. She gave him back to the Lord all the days of his life. And Samuel served the Lord. Samuel's one of the characters in scripture. You go look at his life from beginning to end. You can't find a blemish. You can't find a spot where Samuel messed up. There's a few people like that in scripture. Joseph, Daniel. Some of these guys where you look at their life and it's like, man, the the record of scripture has them doesn't really lay out any blemishes. Samuel was one of the good guys. God did a great work through him in an era where leadership was really poor and the kings were really struggling. God had a man of God in Samuel. and He started from when he was a little bitty dude. And so I do encourage us parents, you know, especially when our kids are little, we say, man, dedicate them to the Lord. I mean, do that. Really dedicate your kids to the Lord. Bring them up in his ways. Believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your kids greater than the American dream and encourage them to pursue it and push them in that direction and show them the way and lead them by your example and see what God will do with some of our kids as we give them back to him. So John the Baptist, Mother Elizabeth, was blessed with the news of, of a child. And it was good news because she had been barren also. And she was going to have a son. And God told him with the name, told her with the name. I mean, he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. I mean, John the Baptist was a, you know, going to be the cousin of Jesus. But he was a unique dude. You know, he came out and mom had been giving this great word and testimony. You look at John the Baptist's life, another unique guy. Very unique in his life. But he spoke, you know, the image I get of John the Baptist is I just get a guy that's like got no filter. Anybody know some guys like that? They just, they're, they're not going to say it soft. They're not going to give it to you, you know, with, with some extra cushion and some soft, mushy, gushy stuff. They're just going to give it to you. That was John the Baptist telling people, y'all need to repent. The Lord's at hand. It's coming back. And he did his ministry. But I want to look at Sam, Samson with you guys. And that's who most of us are familiar with. We know Samson because he had the long hair. Um, when, when Samson was born, this is what the Lord said. This was God knew that he wasn't going to complete the job. But God said he's going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Israel's big enemy at this era was the Philistines. And God said, I'm going to raise up somebody to, to, to really put a dent in what the Philistines are doing to my people. To really let them know that I'm the Lord. Now, when you think of Samson and what he looked like, what do you guys imagine in your mind? I always imagine just big, buff, yoked up dude. Um, if you guys remember a history channel when they did the, the Bible, I think Samson was a big black buff dude with some dreads, you know, he looked like, looked like an NFL player, you know, they put some naughty dreads in his head, he looked like he was about that life, you know, uh, he could have had some gold teeth, you know, so the image I get is that, but I wonder, I wonder if he was a little bitty scrawny dude, because his strength wasn't, it wasn't like he worked out real hard and got strong, his strength was that the spirit of God would come upon him, and I wonder if it would have just been even more glorif glorifying to the Lord to have this little scrawny dude, just a little you know, just just a tiny guy, skinny, small, short, you know, little, you know, knee knocking, 
you know, that guy's carrying fences and, and whooping dudes with a jawbone of a donkey. Um, I just think it'd be funnier, funnier that way. I, I, we'll find out when we get to heaven. I, I wonder. We don't really get a, a physical description of him. But God's hand was on him in a special way. And this is the thing that you want to notice. When God's hand is on a man or a woman in a special way, God's using them to defeat the enemy. What's the enemy got to do to that person? How, do I, how does the enemy work again? How does he stop them? Right? There's only one way. The only one way that the people of God that are called of God and empowered by God can be stopped. Only one way. And it's not through outside circumstances. It's not through warfare. Satan can't beat you in warfare. You already have the victory. He's got to press in. As you pray and obey, you have victory. He can't beat you through warfare. He can't, he can't possess you. He can't, he can't get inside you and make you do the wrong thing. You know how Satan stops? The people of God who are called by God, empowered by God, through their own sins, them giving into their own flesh, them doing what they want. That's how he stops them. And so Samson, who, you know, wasn't even that awesome in the sense of his obedient life. He was rebellious the whole time. The first girl he found, he was supposed to get an Israelite. He saw this other girl. He told his dad, I'm, I got to have her. You know, they, they said, son, don't you, can't you get a, you know, well, Israelite girl? No, she pleases me well. I got to have her. And he had her. And then that didn't work out. You know, she ended up marrying his best man. So, so he, you know, he went and, and, and did damage to the community for that and set the foxtails on fire and burnt up all the crops. And, and her and her father's house got dealt with, you know. Then, then he saw Delilah and she was going to be the end of him. You know, they said, they said Samson was the he man with a she weakness. And even though he had this great strength and great power from the Lord, he had a weakness. He, he liked these foreign women. Um, these foreign, non-believing women. There was something about that that had, had a grip on him. And he went after Delilah. And she had been offered money, you know, to, to give her Samson's, you know, find out the, 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 find out the source of his strength and give it over to them. And like the enemy will do, you know, she, and I, I read the story and I think like, man, you couldn't see through that. You know, if I were dating a woman and she said, you know, what would really make you mad? I said, man, if somebody crashed my car, I'd be hot. And I wake up and her friends have crashed my car. I'm like, and you, you know, we talked again the next day. You didn't even get mad. You know, what really would make you mad? Man, if somebody slapped me in the face and then one of her family was going to slap me. I'm like, everything you asked me, what would make me mad? I'll tell you. And it happened to me that day. I mean, you wouldn't get to do that to me two times, Right. But Samson does, that's, a, that's the way the story goes. So tell me the, the source of your strength. Oh, you know, if you tie me up with, you know, with new strings, I'll be just like everybody else. And then he wakes up with Philistines in the room and he's tied up and he fell asleep on her lap. I mean, I won't tell you what I think he should have did, but he, you know, he, so he's back. They didn't break up that first time. It happens again. And, and each time it gets a little closer to the truth. And then it says that Delilah pulled out of her book. The woman trick, the tears. You, you made a fool of me these three times. You tell me this story, you don't love me. And, you know, and she crying. He said, and, and it says that she just did this day and night. She was weighing on him. He finally broke. He said, okay, fine. My, my hair is my strength. I'm a Nazarite from the Lord. And da, 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 he gave her the truth. And she knew that time that it was the truth. And she called him back and she lulled him to sleep on her lap. And he got shaved and he was like everybody else. Why do I bring that up? Why do I point this out? So we're looking at this Nazarite vow, and God said, this is a vow you take to be close to me. 
to be close to me, that you might be empowered for service, that we might be close, that, that forget about what you do for me, forget about your service, that we might be intimate, we might be tight, we might be close. Samson forfeited that. And God puts that story in the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. Not so that I can look back and say, man, Samson was a fool, man, that's crazy what he did. Because we're just like Samson, right? What area of the flesh do we give into that's hindering our service, hindering our consecration, hindering our intimacy with the Lord? Is there areas? Are there things that we would look at and say, man, this is, I want to take heed to that, right? That's, Satan can't get inside me. And he can't stop me from out there, but I can give in to my own weaknesses to the point where I'm ineffective and disconnected and not where God wants me to be. And even though God does a wonderful thing in terms of how he reconciles and, or he, how he redeems Samson's situation, um, you, still, you still read Samson's story and think, I wonder how much more God would have done had he been an obedient person. Like, what if Samson had been a really sold out, obedient type of character? How much more would the Lord have done with him? And that's we'll never know. We're never going to know because he wasn't. All we know is what God did do and the limitations. And at least he got to kill a bunch of guys at his death. But that's it. Moving on now, as we look at the, the vow of the Nazarite. And um, I want to read through the, the two more chunks. And then I want to explain what I believe is the New Testament parallel to the Nazarite vow for, for Christians, for you and I today. This wouldn't necessarily be something we would do. Um, you know, we wouldn't, I don't, you know, I guess you could. Um, I did see in the New Testament, um, Paul did this uh, in Acts 18, 18. And um, there were other instances where for the, for the purpose of ministry, but I don't believe this is what God wants from you and I. I believe what he wants from us is something different. And so he still wants consecration and separation. But let's look at look at the next section with me. Look at verse 13. It says, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering. One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish. As a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer the sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord. With the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So he's making this offering to the Lord. It's a sin offering, a peace offering. He's adding to this offering, to the fire of the offering, his, his hair that was consecrated as he was a Nazarite, verse 19. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord, they are holy for the priests together with the breast and the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Verse 21. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, 
whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes. So he must do according to the law of his separation. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Numbers, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, you see how God dealt with sin and disobedience in the Israelite camp, but you also get a sense of how God delights in obedience and a soft heart. The people then were no different than people today. It's all human nature, plagued with the curse of sin, but God didn't leave their side, and He remains by your side today. So if you're ever in doubt about God's goodness, faithfulness, or steadfastness, be reminded that God cares about you, loves you, and is there for you. We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Numbers, and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in listening to additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. Then you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience, and we pray you continue to look to Jesus. Thanks again for joining us, and be sure to catch our next edition of A Transforming Word.